welcome. If you're in the room, welcome for the first time. Uh, then we've been having a conversation over the last few weeks. We've been doing a series called People of the Thunder. Everybody say thunder. thunder. Just say it in a thunderous way, though. That's good, not enough baritone in that. Um, and what we've been doing is we've been dwelling on Acts chapter 2 and the story of the coming of the Holy Spirit to the church on the day of Pentecost, an historical event that changed everything in theological history and changed everything in salvation history, didn't it? Because God came and dwelt in the church and dwelt in every believer there, not just the special few like in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament from the day of Pentecost onwards, everybody named after the name of Jesus can be lived in by the Holy Spirit, changing us to become a walking, talking, living, mobile temple. That's what the New Testament teaches us, right? As believers, you and I, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We're not meeting in a temple today. We're a temple because of the people, not because of the building who could say amen. And we noticed uh, over this series, if you've missed it or you're curious or you have insomnia, apparently my preaching is really good for the insomniacs, helps them sleep straight away. Some of you are already getting there now. Um, if you've missed it, you can jump onto our church website and go to our sermon uh, audio podcasts and uh, you can find us on Spotify or Apple or any of your favorite podcast app, but you can jump on there and get the audio messages from our last few weeks. If you prefer visuals, then you can jump onto our YouTube channel and you can get our YouTube whole services actually, which are broadcast live, but then um, also saved and archived up there. So you could find the, you could catch up with our People of the Thunder series if you want to. But what we noticed in week one is this, that there's two contrasts that are wonderful. There's the giving of the Ten Commandments, the giving of the law on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. And it was up a mountain and there was thunder and lightning and fire and that thunder scared the people of Israel away. Well, on the day of Pentecost, there was fire and there was wind and there was a, there was a storm, but there, there wasn't thunder that day. Instead, there was a voice of the Holy Spirit coming through the church, and it didn't scare people away. In fact, it drew them in, and the, the big contrast between the law given at Sinai and the coming of the law of the Spirit of life, as Paul would say it in Romans chapter 8. The big contrast is now the thunder of God does not speak to this world in the sky. The thunder of God speaks to this world through the church. Turn the person next to you and say, God speaks through the church. And turn the person next to you and say, it's not the only way God speaks, but it is an important way God speaks. <laughs> you sound like a bunch of old men mumbling into your beer. <laughs> it's not the only way that God speaks, but listen, it's crucial that you understand that when Luke is writing the account of the day of Pentecost, the one thing he doesn't include is the sound of thunder in the sky, and instead he declares voices, languages, tongues coming from the church. And what happens? Those 3,000 people rush in to the kingdom of God. And something is born that day that the world has never seen before. And we are beneficiaries of it to this day, friends. In fact, the baton has been passed to us in our generation to be the ones that continue to be what the church was turned into on the day of Pentecost. They were turned into the people of the thunder. The thunder is not in the sky. The thunder is in the church. Somebody say, kapow. Yes, the thunder's in the church. Now, the thunder doesn't always sound like thunder. And the thunder doesn't always even sound spectacular. In fact, this is the mystery of God, and I think many of you would be aware of this. That in the mystery of God, the most mundane things in life can be a context for a thunderbolt from heaven. Thunderbolt from heaven. I want you to think about this, that, that, that Jesus said, if you welcome a prophet 
in Jesus' name, you receive the prophet's reward. And if you give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, then you bring blessing upon yourself. Isn't that amazing? Like something as, as mundane as this is not a cup, but this is a recycled, PET-friendly, hasn't got any nasty stuff in it. Um, this, this, and whoever gave this is my daughter, Molly, that gave this to me today. So now she's going to get a reward in heaven for all the waters she's got for her dear old dad. That's, that, that's awesome. But it's mundane, isn't it? Who would imagine that something sacred is happening when we just show a simple act of hospitality? You know, in the ancient world, when Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, that was so significant, mainly because they were living in very dry times and uh, access to water was a sign of power. So what it's really saying is when you have resources and other, others don't have resources, but you share those resources, you become a gracious host, you become someone who shows hospitality. Even the very giving of hospitality is a work of God. Can you believe that? There's no thunderbolts. There's no lightning. Jesus didn't say, when you give a cup of cold water in my name, tongues of fire will come from heaven. <laughs> it's, in fact, on, on the outward, it just looks very mundane. And yet for Jesus, he said, it's something that will bring a blessing upon you. Why? Because the thunder of God is now not in the sky, but it is shown through the church in the lives that we lead. You know, the thunder that struck in the church caused a movement of people that changed history. People rushing into God's kingdom from the day of Pentecost onwards were decisively responsible, according to historians and sociologists, for the decay and decline of the might of the Roman Empire. The most powerful empire the face of the earth had ever seen. The biggest empire. The only one that had unified language and travel and economy and worldview in the ancient world. No one had ever done what the Roman Empire had done. Roads built everywhere. In just a few days, you could get from one side to the other. The pirates were swept out of the seas. The bandits were swept off the lands. And because the Roman Empire was so powerful and so effective, people literally said, the only explanation for this is that Caesar is not just a king, but Caesar is a god. And Caesar said, that's a great idea. Yeah, I am a god. And then they built temples everywhere for the worship of Caesar. And the one thing that held the entire Roman Empire together was this gospel of Caesar that said, Caesar is Lord. And he, because he is divine and because he's a God, he has brought peace to the cosmos. <laughs> and that talk started from like 60 BC. And then here we are with Jesus in 33 AD, hanging on a cross, bringing the kingdom of God, the true Lord. And then a movement is born. A movement is born that said, we don't believe Caesar is Lord. We believe Jesus is and that is the catch cry of the Christian, isn't it? That we are part of a new kingdom, not the empire of Rome, but the kingdom of God. We don't worship King Caesar, we worship King Jesus. Well, did you know that that undermined the very might of the Roman Empire? If you're curious, historical type, I love reading history, then you can read a book by Tom Holland, not Spider-Man, he's, he's much less cool than that. Um, and uh, he wrote a book called Dominion, How the Christian Faith Changed the World. Uh, it's got a couple of subtitles, so depending on um, which Amazon account you have, but the, it's, it's, it's about how, as Christianity spread, the biggest values of the Roman Empire crumbled, and things were born into the world, like healthcare, uh, equality, justice, all these things. It's worth checking out. But he credits in that book, and he's not the first scholar that's done it over history, that the decline of the Roman Empire was because of the movement born out on the day of Pentecost. Think about that. We should think about it. Because today, you and I, we stand in this generation as those who are given an invitation. Will you keep carrying the baton? The author to the Hebrews says, you know, let's not grow weary because we are surrounded by a great crowd, cloud 
of witnesses. And that cloud of witnesses is a picture that we are, we are soldiers out on the amphitheater floor, like in the Roman Colosseum. And the stands are filled with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Samson and Moses and Adam and Eve. They've got their own section. Everybody just scowls at them. Good on you guys. <laughs> and this cloud of witnesses surrounds us. And we now are the ones that take to the stadium floor. And in this generation, you and I as Jesus followers... And if you're not a Jesus follower, we're going to invite you to join us by the end of this service because uh, it's wonderful to walk with Jesus. And we are invited not just to be those that enjoy our own salvation, but to be those who would see it spread around to the very ends of the earth. Can I get an amen in this place? Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. Last week we talked about the fact that when the Holy Spirit comes, our speech changes. Here's the thing we're going to talk about this week. When the Holy Spirit comes, our lifestyle changes. If our lifestyle doesn't change, it's questionable. Have I received the Holy Spirit? Have I received this Jesus? Am I walking in Him? That's the one thing that happens when we come to know Jesus is it actually changes us. Now, I've got to tell you, I'm the first one to admit, I've been walking with Jesus for 20 years, give or take, <laughs> And uh, it took a long time for my lifestyle to change. I was so broken when I, when I met Jesus. I was drinking myself to sleep every night, smoking drugs and snorting drugs and smoking anything I could light on fire and all sorts of crazy trauma. Um, and, and I was just an addict through and through deep, deep in shame, deep in darkness. And I knew Jesus came into my world. But to anyone looking on the outside, my change would have looked real slow. But on the inside, I was making leaps and bounds I can remember the first time I only drank half a bottle of Bacardi rum on a day and thought, wow, progress. Now I'm down to three quarters. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That is a joke. Our lifestyle changes. Now, I want you to think about this because if we are to believe what Dr. Luke tells us when he writes the book of Acts, we have to understand that God's thunder sounds not in the sky but in the church and it doesn't always seem too spectacular. Listen to how Luke talks about the thunder in the church in Acts chapter 2, from verse 42 to 47. That'll be the second chapter of the book of Acts, from verse 42 to verse 47. Listen to what he says. This is the post-Pentecost event. 3,000 people have just rushed into the kingdom and been baptized. That's church growth, isn't it? It says, they devoted themselves. Everybody say devoted. 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 Just think, sit in that word for a second. Devoted. You know, I grew up with three sisters and mum as well. And uh, my sisters loved this um, genre of film called chick flicks. You understand what chick flicks are? I'm married now to a beautiful wife called Danielle. She's not with us today. Um, and she, she loves chick flicks as well. We watch chick flicks for date night. Her favourite chick flick is Rambo 4. Um, <laughs> but my sisters liked real chick flicks. And there used to be this chick flick with Olivia Newton-John. And, you know which one I'm going to talk about? Look at you, Renee Hughes, John Travolta. Remember, remember Olivia Newton-John's Newton song of love to Danny Zuko? Do you remember it? Only us old people remember it. I saw this when I was about six and then I was looking at my kids the other day thinking, you're teenagers and I'm still not letting you watch that movie. And she gets out and she swings on the swings and she sings, Hopelessly devoted to you. And I think, what a, great, what a great birthing of a Christian sentiment. 
for us to be thinking about Jesus and thinking hopelessly devoted, or maybe we should say it this way, hopefully devoted <laughs> to you. What are you devoted to? In Greece, um, what's her name? Sandy? Sandy? She was devoted to Danny in his cool black leather jacket. The early church, they were devoted, they were devoted, but they were devoted to Jesus. Listen to what it says, they devoted themselves, everyone say devoted, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Actually, if you read this in the original Greek, we know we've got a great English translation here. But if you read this in the ancient Greek that it was originally written in, when uh, Luke says um, that they devoted themselves to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayer, it then says this, and because of that, everyone was filled with awe. And so it's, it's quite amazing that what filled them with awe was the lifestyle of the church, and it really comes out in the original text. And the other thing it says, and because of that, many signs and wonders were performed by the apostles. And so it's giving us a staircase that's saying the lifestyle of the church became a generator. It became a power pack, and the lifestyle of the church generated awe in everybody, and it generated signs and wonders in their midst, which caused people to rush into the church. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together. Everyone say together. And they had everything in common. That word together is homothumadon. It means one in heart and mind. Same passion, same heat. You might like to translate it this way. Together, together. They weren't just together physically. They were together spiritually. They were unified in heart and mind. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Everyone say sincere. <laughs> that word sincere is a wonderful word. In, in the ancient Greek, it means without rocks, without rocks. Any gardeners in the room? Who loves a good veggie patch? Any farmers in the room that have had to, you know, um, grow a pasture and maintain pasture for animals? Janet Dales, yep, a couple of you guys. Same people for every question. Um, so what happens when you're gardening? I, we wouldn't know in our house because Danielle kills everything. Um, but, but when you're gardening and you, and you, or, you're, or you're farming, one of the worst things for soil is that the soil is rocky. Because when you try to till it, you know, it wrecks the plough, it wrecks your tools, um, the, you know, it chokes out the plants because they can't get to the nutrients. It does it. And so what you've got to do is you've got to till that soil and you've got to get rid of all the rocks. All through the UK, you see these great big pastures where the fences are all made of rocks. And how they got there is that the farmers would plough up the fields and as they ploughed up the fields, they'd take the rocks and build them into fences to get the rocks out of the field. And, um, and, you know, if you're a gardener or you're a farmer, a field with no rocks in it, that's where something can really grow. And that's what the New Testament word sincere means. It means without rocks. And it's an agricultural picture. It means there's stuff that's supposed to grow in your heart, but it'll never grow while the rocks are there. And Pentecost is about this founding of a new community that said, you know, something happens to us with the presence of the Holy Spirit. We start getting the rocks out of our lives. I was a bit more excited about that than you guys are, so I'm just going to keep moving on. They, glad, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, and listen to this, enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We stand at a juncture in history where we are those who hold the baton for the church now. I mean, take a look, take a look at the people on the left side of the room, but you're doing it for your left. And now take a look at the people on your right side of the room. This is good as it gets, gang. We don't have any better looking people. You're it. We don't have any more spiritual people hidden away. You're it. 
We don't have any richer people. We don't have any more powerful people. We don't have any better rappers. You're it. Turn the person next to you and say, chicka wow. You're it. They, they, this is it. God's secret plan is to take this motley crew and those of us who are joining online and to say, now the baton is passed to you and you're invited to be a people that would make a choice to say, I want to live a spirit life. And I want to live a spirit life that changes my life and regulates my lifestyle that causes me to make decisions and operate in such a way that a watching world will rush into the kingdom of God like they did on the day of Pentecost. You have to understand that that what Luke's not doing, he's not saying, right, here's the four things you have to do if you're a Christian. He's not giving us rules. He's not giving us a rule of life. He's not giving us a behavior modification program. He's giving us an eyewitness snapshot. Look what the Holy Spirit birthed. And it birthed, the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost birthed a community of devotion. Everybody say devotion. Devotion. A community of devotion. And he lists for us four things. And those four things, when lived out by the church, they didn't seem too spectacular. In fact, they're very, very ordinary things. They devoted themselves to the apostle teaching. That's number one. They devoted themselves to fellowship, that's number two. To the breaking of bread, that's number three. And to prayer, that's number four. None of it on its own is too spectacular. Have you done any of it before? The apostles' teaching is really the Word of God. Jesus authorized the apostles as the first ones to close the canon. And that's why when uh, it comes to the New Testament, um, you see this... Let me just go on a little hijacked rant for a second. You see this stupid talk in this modern day that there's like these secret books that were really um, cut out of the Bible because of the church's bias and prejudice and all this sort of stuff and the Gospel of Thomas. And if you read the Da Vinci Codes, like the best fiction ever written, it is fiction, people. Um, And you see this sort of conspiracy theory that there were other Bible books that the church got rid of because they didn't like what it said. And that's just not true. How books were part of the New Testament was that they were authorized by the earliest apostles who were authorized by Jesus to record his teachings. And so when Luke tells us that the first century church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, what we're being told is they devoted themselves to the word of God that is the treasury of the Christian faith. And so today... You're not ever going to be asked to devote yourself to my teaching. And if you do, you should leave the church and find a better one. You are going to be asked, do you devote yourself to the Word of God? And what's wonderful today is we know, um, I, I don't doubt that there are apostolic gifts in the church. We see it all over the place. But none of those people speak with the same authority and none of those people have the same entrustment to Jesus to author Scripture. And the early church, man, you could look back and think, man, how wonderful on the day of Acts. Imagine sidling up to Peter and saying, hey, Peter, tell us again about the time Jesus called you Satan. You know, wouldn't that make you feel better about yourself? Hey, Peter, tell us about the time you denied Jesus. Hey, Thomas, Thomas, tell us about the time you said, I'm not even going to believe anything. And then Jesus came and appeared to you. Wouldn't it be cool? We have, wouldn't it be awesome if you could be mentored by James? Do you know what? You can. You can. The wonderful thing about the Christian faith is that those apostles transmitted everything into writing. So we could be mentored by Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Peter and Paul and James and then John again in that traumatic book at the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, you know, it's, uh, that'll keep you awake at night, won't it? 
and they were devoted. But listen, this is not a behavioral modification program. It's not four steps and this is what you have to do to be Christian. It is, you know, that something happens to you. The Spirit births something in a church. And the Spirit births something in people in a church. But you and I, we get to make a choice. Will I let the Spirit birth in me? Will I yield to the work of God? Will I yield to the work of the Spirit? And if you think about these four things that were birthed in this community of devotion, it doesn't sound much like thunder and it doesn't look much like lightning, but the thunder and lightning are in the church, they're not in the sky. And when the watching world was faced with this community of devotion, just four simple things, daily God added to their number those who were being saved. How many people could believe with me that we as a church would see people come to see know Jesus every day? of every week, of every year? Who, who, who would just be excited about seeing more and more people find Jesus in our church community? You know, we can't baptise more people than one at a time because they're not allowed to share water under health restrictions. Wouldn't it be exciting if we had to drain and fill that pool 25 times next Sunday and the Sunday after and the Sunday after? Wouldn't it be exciting? Well, according to Luke, that the way the thunder strikes is through the church, and it's not in just the spectacular ways, like a pastor getting up and having a word of knowledge, like a pastor getting up and preaching the world's best sermon. Actually, there's something that supercharges the life of the church that is not even necessarily public. It's more private. Private things we do together, not private that we're on our own, you understand. The way we live together, together, is Luke's point in this passage, that the Holy Spirit birthed something, and it created change and momentum in the ancient world. Actually, a lot of ancient commentators were at a loss when they looked at the Christian church to explain, why the heck do these people live this way? There was an Athenian philosopher, a philosopher from Athens, his name was Aristides, and he wrote to the emperor an explanation of the faith, because, you know, they were like killing Christians and stuff like that, and listen to what he said. It is the Christians, O emperor, who have sought and found the truth, for they acknowledge God, And then listen to how he describes the way Christians lived back then. For they don't keep for themselves the goods entrusted to them. They don't covet what belongs to others. They show love to their neighbours. They do not do to another what they would not wish to have done to themselves. They speak gently even to those who oppress them. And in this way, they make them their friends. It has become their passion to do good to their enemies. They live in awareness of their smallness. Every one of them who has anything gives ungrudgingly to those who have nothing. If they see a traveling stranger, they bring him under their roof. They rejoice over him as a real brother, for they do not call one another brothers after the flesh, but they know that they are brothers in the spirit and in God. Do you realize in the ancient world in Rome, if you called someone brother who was not related to you, you could be executed? Because the Romans felt that you were undermining the importance of the family system. And so they killed Christians because Christians called each other brother and sister. Can you believe that? It was like, you guys can't mess up our system like this. (laughs) They're brothers in spirit. They say, if they hear that one of them is imprisoned or oppressed for the sake of Christ, they take care of all his needs. If possible, they set him free. If anyone among them is poor and comes into want while they themselves have nothing to spare, they fast two or three days for him. And in this way, they can supply any poor with the food he needs. See the sacrificial life of the church. Oh, emperor, it is the rule of life of the Christians like this, and this is their manner of life. There was another emperor called um, Julian. He's called Julian the Apostate because he didn't like Christianity. He liked the violent gods of the Roman Empire. He liked the sort of, you know, deviant gods of the Roman Empire. So he decided he was going to stamp Christianity out. And writing in the 4th century, he writes a lament in a journal. He writes about what a pain it is having Christians. And listen to what he says. 
atheism, oh, by the way, they used to call Christians atheists. You know why? Because they wouldn't worship the Roman gods. <laughs> so there you go. If you're an atheist in the house, you're in a good Christian tradition. He said, atheism has been specifically advanced through the loving service Christians give to strangers and through their care for the sick and their burial of the dead. This is a Roman emperor writing. It's a scandal. There is not a single beggar among them. And those godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain to help that we will never render them. (laughs) You know, the Roman Emperor Julian, what he did is he began the Roman Empire's first official charity works for poor people. And do you know why he did that? Because he was so annoyed that the Christians were looking after the poor that he felt it made the Roman Empire look bad. And he wanted to keep, like, you know, killing Christians and stamping out the faith. Um, And so what he did is he actually copied Christianity. And he tried to introduce it. It never worked, by the way, because the Romans wouldn't go for it unless they were Christian. The Christians were the only ones that would go for this loving your neighbor, giving away your resources, don't try to kill and let gold rule and might mate right. They were a different breed. They were a radical breed. They were a revolutionary breed, this community of devotion. They changed the world. William Barclay, he's a great Bible commentator. He says, the early church was the one place in the ancient world where the barriers were down. That world was rigidly divided. There were free men and slaves. There were Greeks and barbarians. How many barbarians are in the house? Just give me a... There were those who did not speak Greek. There were Jews and Gentiles. There were Roman citizens and lesser breeds without Roman law. There were the cultured and the ignorant. And the church was the one place where all could and did come together. The church is the first movement in the first century world that allowed men and women to worship equally. Did you know that? No other group was doing it that way. The church and the Romans thought they were nuts. Why would you let women come in? And we're glad, aren't we, guys? Doesn't it smell better when there's women in the room? Sounds better too. He says... This is the thing about the church, William Barclay still writing. The church had solved the social problems that baffled Rome and Europe. And the secret of the revolution was that selfishness and race and class was forgotten and a new basis for society was found, the image of God. Tom Holland, in his writing, he notes that these days, universal human rights is an axiom all the way through our world, isn't it? You are aware of this, like got out before and read a book and stuff. Um, But you know, in the first century world, universal human rights was not an axiom. Not only did they not believe in universal human rights, they actively believed the opposite, that not everybody qualifies for good treatment, not everybody qualifies for justice, not everybody qualifies for looking after. It was only the Christians that brought this to the world and that's what stunned and baffled the Romans. And it looks very practical, doesn't it? The first three, four hundred years of church history is about a social transformation that happened across an empire because of the lifestyle that Luke sketches for us in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 onwards. A church of devotion. Everyone say devotion. Devotion. The thunder's not in the sky anymore. The thunder is in the church and we are called to be people of the thunder. And in today's world, like in the book of Acts, thunder sounds like devotion. Our devotion speaks to those around us, doesn't it? When we're devoted to the right things. Of course, we all know people devoted to the wrong things and that doesn't go so well for us, does it? I was devoted to booze 
I was devoted to numbing myself with drugs and alcohol and all sorts of stuff, devoted just to working hard, getting more money, making myself more depressed. And my devotion didn't work out well for me. Luke says they were devoted, they were a community of devotion. The word devotion means this, it means to continue to do something with intense effort and with the possible implication that even though it may be difficult. (laughs) To devote oneself simply means to embrace a way of life and to persist in that way of life, even if it gets hard. Actually, the word devoted from the ancient Greek is this word, proskaterio. Everybody say proskaterio. Sounds like a red wine from Italy or something, doesn't it? And proskaterio is made up of two words. The first word is pros, which means toward or to interact with. And katerio means to show steadfast strength. And it's derived from a word which means mighty strength. So when Luke says they were steadfastly devoted, or when he says they devoted themselves, what he means is that they, they, they put in a mighty effort to make sure that of all the things they could show interest in, that was the thing they showed interest in. And there are four marks of devotion that Luke says to us. But bear in mind, this is what the Spirit does in the Christian life. The Spirit births in you an impulse, a mighty impulse to devote yourself to something. And I think the question for you and I most of the time, please don't leave here going, okay, Ben's given me four rules I have to follow now, because that's not the spirit of this text, and that's not what we're doing. But here's, the, I think, what you should leave here considering. What, what am I actually devoted to? What do I put mighty effort into? And, and, and what does that say to the world around What does that say to those I live amongst? You know, does Alice Springs know that there is a church at 32 Undulia Road, passionate about loving others, passionate about bringing Jesus, passionate about bringing goodness? Well, I think our town will feel it if we will be a community of devotion, huh? Thunder sounds like devotion. And it sounds like devotion to four things. Here's the first thing Luke says, they devoted themselves to the the apostles' teaching. If you're taking notes, you might like to note this. Thunder sounds like devotion to the Word of God. The Apostles' teaching. Now we have a New Testament, and so that's good, because we don't have Peter or Paul, but we do have Peter and Paul's writings, and we can devote ourselves to it. We can make a steadfast effort to continue in the Word, to meditate, to let our lives be shaped by it. I love studying the Bible, and when I study the Bible... I imagine Jesus as the great composer and the Holy Spirit as the great conductor and the church as a great orchestra and the Word of God as an amazing piece of music. And all of us invited, whichever, whichever section you're in, who's in the strings? My kids used to learn violin. They were good at this song. It went, who strangled the cat? What about the wind section? Don't dig your husband in the ribs, girls. We're an orchestra. Listen, thunder sounds like devotion to the Word, not individualistic devotion either. The take-home for this is not go home and just read the Bible to yourself on your own, because for Luke, what was noteworthy about the early church is they were, they were together in the Word. They studied it together. They talked about it together. They applied it together. They lived it out together. Together, together, together is the Word that you see all the way through this passage. And that was one of the things that was amazing. You heard it in the sources from the ancient world I read. The unity of the church, the love of the church, the community of the church. Thunder sounds like devotion to the Word. Is the Holy Spirit birthing in you the sense to be more devoted to God's Word? Here's the second thing if you're taking notes. Thunder sounds like devotion to community. 
devotion to community. I'm going to put a mighty effort in to build community. I'm going to put a mighty effort in to be part of a community. I'm going to put a mighty effort into shaping community. I'm going to put a mighty effort into welcoming others into community. This word community, everybody say community. It's this wonderful Greek word koinonia. In the ancient world, koinonia meant a family business. A family business where we all work together. We all share in the risks. We all share in the rewards. I grew up in Mount Isa and in Mount Isa, anyone from Mount Isa in the room? If you're online on Mount Isa, give me a, well, give me a lead cough. <laughs> in Mount Isa, there was a Vietnamese bakery called Tam's Bakery. And you go to that bakery and the mum would be working the cash register. 12-year-old daughter would be serving bread. 68-year-old granddad would be in the back kneading dough with a smoke hanging out his mouth. Grandma would be over in the corner sifting flour. And everyone in the whole family played a role. You know, that image, the family business, that's the best image that you can get in the modern day of what a true koinonia really is. A family enterprise, a family partnership, a family business. Now listen, the church is not a business, but we are a family business. We are a family business. And Luke says what struck the earliest people was their community was so tight that the church was like a family business. I think sometimes we make a mistake. We imagine the church is like a hotel. We rock up and we expect service. We want to ring the bell and have someone attend to our needs. In the early church, they were so devoted to koinonia that no one would rock up expecting everyone to tend to their needs. They would rock up expecting to tend to each other's needs. Not rock up and wait for attention from the pastor. Rock up and be attentive to others. Comes from that great picture where Jesus was the one that took off his robe and washed the disciples' feet on the night before he died. They were devoted. Devotion to community sounds like thunder to a watching world, friends. And it speaks deeply. Do you know how many people I've met with in my office who've given their lives to Jesus and one of the things that convicted them about the reality of God was walking in and seeing the love and the great relationships and the joy on people's faces. Back when Jacob Koshy was allowed to hug you on the door, you have to get a crowbar to get his arms off. And people would walk in and they'd feel broken and they'd feel desperate, not even knowing Jesus. And here, this amazing man would love them and hug them. And I've met so many people, Jacob, that have said, you know, as soon as I met that guy, I felt the warmth and the love of God. And there's so many wonderful people in our church, loving people and embracing people and accepting people. And you know why? Because community strikes like thunder in a lonely, broken world, doesn't it? Here's a third thing. Thunder sounds like the breaking of bread. Now, that's some crispy bread, isn't it? Sounds like thunder when you crack it. They were devoted. They put a mighty effort in to continually break bread. Breaking bread is shorthand for Luke. It means two things. It means hospitality and feasting on the one hand, and it means communion as worship on the other. It actually doesn't mean just one of those things. It means both. And you see it in the text. He says, in the temple, they were constantly together, but then they'd go home and they'd break bread. And all the way through the book of Acts and the early letters in the New Testament, you see the church's tendency to celebrate the breaking of bread together, but to feast together as well. In our day, we just say, thunder looks a lot like hospitality. Unger's Bible Dictionary says that the breaking of bread in this passage talks to a simple meal of brotherly love celebrated in the first century church. At this, Christians would ignore all distinctions of rank and wealth and culture and just meet as one family. 
At this point, the poor could come, the outcasts could come, the slaves could come, and the widows could come. And they were able to come and eat freely. Many would receive their only daily meal in a gathering of the church or a home of a Christian. Their only daily meal. That's what caused the Roman Emperor Julian to remark, those Galilean, those godless Galileans, they feed our own poor as well as theirs. (laughs) There's thunder in the breaking of bread. Can I ask you something? Is that, that, could it be that the Holy Spirit's birthing in our church a new wave of hospitality? I know we've got, you know, 1.5 metre social distancing now. You know what that is? A French breadstick between everybody, okay? So when you break it, don't, don't move closer. Could it be that the Holy Spirit's causing us to be people who learn to break bread together? Don't you love living in this world? You can even break gluten-free bread now. Yvette Goodlit, if you're watching. You can, you can break vegan tofu if you want to. You can make a a Thai curry. You can make, I can't remember what the Ethiopians call those amazing pancakes they have. That's what it is. Thank you. (laughs) You can make some awesome Nigerian food, some amazing Indian curry. You you could slow cook some lamb shanks. You, You could microwave a pie. Okay, we're going down the order now. You can, you can boil two minute noodles for your friends at university. You know, all through the Bible, you see, it's not just the day of Pentecost, but all through the scriptures, you see the power of a meal. Very important in the ancient world, Jesus was scandalized because others were so shocked that he ate meals with the wrong type of people. You know why they were so shocked? Because in the ancient world, hospitality says, if we, if we eat a meal together, we're joining lives. Could it be that the Holy Spirit is birthing in us a a, a renewed passion to join lives of people and break bread together. It says they were devoted to, here's the last one, prayer, to the apostles' teaching, to community, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Actually, that word prayer in the Greek, it's the prayers. They were devoted to the prayers. It's not just generically being a person of prayer. This is a technical term. They were devoted to the prayers. What does that mean? Well, the church would meet together regularly for worship and prayer. And listen to this. And the people were devoted to it. They were devoted to it. They put, a, they put a mighty effort into being part of worship. They put a mighty effort into being part of prayer. Thunder in the church sounds a lot like being devoted to worship and prayer. There's thunder when God's people begin to pray. Actually, later on in the book of Acts, you see that the apostles gathered together and pray. And then thunder literally came from heaven and shook the house where they met. What a wonderful picture. Of course that would happen because there's thunder in devotion to prayer. What are you devoted to? Could it be that the Holy Spirit is birthing something in our church in this season where he's calling fresh devotions out of us? Where he's calling fresh futures out of us, fresh fresh choices out of us? You know what I... I could be more devoted to God's Word. How about you? I could be more devoted to community. Sounds a bit weird for a pastor to say, but the truth is I could be. I could be more devoted to breaking gluten-free, dairy-free bread to feed everyone in my family. I could be more devoted to prayer and worship. And so here's the challenge for me when I read this Acts 2 community. They were people of the thunder back then. 
and we now have the baton passed to us in this day and age. And I've got to ask myself a question. Am I a person of thunder? Or am I just a light breeze? I wrote this in my journal this week. thought about it all week. Ben, what would Luke write about you if he was watching you? If he could come in a, in a, in a time machine to the future and write Acts chapter 2, but spy on me and let me be his sample space. What would he see a life of devotion to? It's a challenging thought, isn't it? I don't want you to leave here saying, oh, I've got four rules that I have to try harder in church today. I don't want you to leave here doing that. I want you to ask yourself something. Am I a spirit person? Am I constantly inviting God's spirit to live in me, dwell in me, fill me with his power and shape Christ in me? Paul said to the Colossians, I labor for you until Christ is formed in you. Am I, am I a spirit person? Because if I'm a spirit person, then what happened on the day of Pentecost and was birthed into reality there should begin to be taking shape in my life as well. Who could say amen? So I don't want you to go away saying, hey, I've got four new rules to follow. But I do want you to ask yourself this. Could it be that the Holy Spirit is birthing devotion afresh in our church community? And if it's going to be in our church community, then it's got to be in you individually before it's in us corporately say this to people in marriage counseling all the time a better us starts with a better me i'm not trying to fix anyone else you know it if you're in marriage don't you <laughs> don't try to fix the other person grow yourself it's the best gift you can give newly engaged couple up the back going yeah 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 taking notes on that one two lovers i want you to ask yourself if you're aware of and yielding to the impulses of the Holy Spirit in your life. I believe God is birthing this in you. I believe God wants all of Pentecost to be a reality for you. I believe God wants this world in Alice Springs and beyond to be faced with a community of devotion so that our mission is effective and fruitful. Who could say amen? Paul warned the church four times about the work of the Holy Spirit. He warned four different churches well, three different churches in four places. In Galatians 5.25, he says, keep in step with the Spirit. When you're a little, remember going to the shops with your mum and having to keep up because she was going too fast? That's the picture. Holy Spirit's moving. Holy Spirit's going somewhere. Holy Spirit's marching. There's some military people in our room. You know, you've got to keep in step with the sergeant major, don't you? You've got to keep in step with whoever's calling the cadence. And Paul says to the Galatians in 5, chapter 5, verse 25, keep in step with the Spirit. March to the Spirit's tune. You know, all sorts of things want us to march to their tunes, but, but Paul says, hey, march to that tune of the Spirit. There's a tune called devotion. Are we marching to it? In Ephesians 4, verse 30, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. To grieve means to cause grief or distress or pain. And then Paul lists all sorts of things that bring sadness to the heart of God. Think about that. Think about the power you and I are granted by the creator of the universe. We have potential to grieve the very one who made the universe. Paul says, don't grieve the spirit. Keep in step with the spirit. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, listen to this one. Don't quench the spirit. What a great phrase. Quench. 
It's what you do when you put a candle out. That's what you do when you light a lamp and you want to put the lamp out, you quench it. And Paul says, you know, the Spirit's like a flame of fire in our lives, a great Pentecost image, huh? And you, you know what you and I are? Because God is good and God is gracious and God is merciful and God is not a bully or a manipulator. So God won't storm into your life, kick the walls down, take away all your choices and bully you. God will offer partnership. Will you work with me? Will you cooperate with me? Will you yield to me? Paul says, God's like a flame. Don't put it out. When the Holy Spirit's doing something in you, don't quench it. Don't blow out that flame. Don't put out that lamp. Don't turn out that light. Actually, give it oxygen. And in Galatians 5, verse 16, Paul says to the Galatians, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Exercise in the Spirit. You know, in... um, in other places, they have these things called four-lane highways. Four-lane highways. And in Queensland, where I came from, um, you'd have to stay in the left-hand lanes if you're going slow and the right-hand lane if you're going fast. How many people have driven on one of those roads before? How annoying is it when someone's in the wrong lane? You know, you're trying to zoom along the highway and someone's doing 60 in the right-hand lane and you're trying to be a Christian and to be devoted to the breaking of bread, but you want to just throw some bread at them? slowing you down when Paul says walk in the spirit he contrasts it with you as your natural self the unredeemed you the you of the flesh and this is what he says there's two lanes you can go on there's the flesh lane or there's the spirit lane he says walk in the spirit choose the spirit lane every time be in the right lane I want you to bow your heads all over this room and close your eyes for a second The thunder isn't in the sky anymore. The thunder's in the church. And the thunder sounds a lot like devotion to the Word of God. The thunder sounds a lot like devotion to community. The thunder sounds a lot like devotion to breaking bread and hospitality, communion. And the thunder sounds like devotion to prayer and worship. In Ephesians 5.18, Paul says this, Be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe God's birthing something in our church and through our church. And we are the ones who had the baton passed to us by that sacred Pentecost community. And I don't know what you've been drinking, but wouldn't it be good if we just for a moment said, God, I want to drink in your spirit today. God, I want to be filled by your spirit today. Birth in me devotion to the right stuff. You know, as I've been talking, I know God's spoken to some people and what he's been saying is, you know, that problem that you've been boiling over, it's because you've been devoting yourself to the wrong stuff. You can't break that problem because of what you're devoted to. So I feel like God's moving in this place and just gently, lovingly, warmly drawing some of us. Change devotions. Change devotions. 
Change what you're pursuing. Change what you're giving yourself to. Change what you're thinking about. Change what you're marinating in. Change what you're percolating in. So I want to invite you in your heart just to make a yes response to God that says, God, help me be devoted to the word. Help me not quench that impulse to get into your word. Help me not quench that impulse to be part of community. Help me not quench that impulse to show hospitality and give and receive hospitality. Help me not quench that impulse to worship and to pray, even to join with God's people in it. I wonder if all over this room, if you just say, God, birth in me what you want me to be. Birth in me how you want me to live. Let your spirit give me energy, give me vision, give me excitement for the things of God. I believe he's doing it in our hearts and minds. If you're on the live stream, I believe in your lounge room or wherever you're watching right now, he's doing it in our hearts and minds. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit birthing in us, wherever we are, those who are in Alice Springs, those who are in other parts of Australia, those who are in other parts of the world, God bless them. Let them know the presence of your spirit. Let everyone in this room know the presence of your spirit. Father, we yield our lives and our hearts and we say, would you give us hearts that are free of rocks? Give us hearts that aren't rocky, but actually that are tender and open to you. Let us be a community of devotion. God, birth your thunder in our lives as well, that a watching world would see the hands and feet of Jesus, devoted and passionate about him. Help us, help us in Jesus' name. I want you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed all over this room today. I want to ask you a question. My friend, the Bible tells us that every single one of us must face a time in our lives where we say yes to the gospel message. Actually, all of us need to have a time where we say, God of the universe, no matter where I'm going to, no matter where I'm coming from, today my answer is yes to the gospel message. And we've got to draw a line in the sand of our life and turn around from wherever we've been heading to, wherever we've been going from, and turn to God and say, yes, I'm going to be a Jesus follower now. I'm having a new start now. And it begins when we just say something simple. God, thank you. My answer is yes to the gospel. The Bible teaches us clearly that every single one of us will have a time where we stand before God and God will want to know, did you say yes to me? And my friend, right now, under the sound of my voice, if you're watching online, if you're listening to this audio podcast, now is a moment for people. And I know God is speaking to people in this place. I know God is speaking to people either who've never said yes to God before or who said it yes once upon a time but haven't been walking with God. And you know today, you need to refresh your commitment. You need to renew that yes because God's saying, come on, my child, my son, my daughter, that's you. Say yes to me. Come home to me. And I know under the sound of my voice right now, the warm, loving, gracious, good presence of God. Like a, like a warm fire on a freezing cold night is drawing people. Come on, say yes. Say yes for the first time ever or for the first time in way too long. So I'm going to close this service today with a simple prayer. A prayer of yes to the gospel message. You're in this place and say, Pastor Ben, would you include me in that prayer? Here's what I want to do. I want to leave you where you're seated, but so that I know that I can include you in my prayer. And more importantly, as a sign to God in heaven, what I want you to do, if you want to say yes to the gospel for the first time ever or for the first time in way too long, I want you to shoot one hand up to heaven right now and just raise your head and look at me and say, yeah, that's me, that's me. Good on you, guys. Good on you. Awesome. Who else? Hand up in the air. Just say, good on you, my friend. Good on you. Awesome going to give you another moment. I reckon there's another thank you. There's another couple of people here that I know that God is speaking to you 
for someone in this room and you said yes when you were really young and you sort of haven't been walking with God and I know God's moving in your heart today saying come on say a decisive yes and get on track and follow me just one more time while people are saying yes to Jesus hand up in the air yep Pastor Ben that's me say yeah good on you good on you my friend good on you awesome if you're one of those people that raised your hand I want you to take your hand and put it on your heart it's not magic it's just symbolic of a fresh start there's a fresh start happening for you this is what's great about God he's always willing to give us a fresh start I'm going to pray for you, my friend. Father, I thank you that right now you're moving in people's hearts in grace and in love and in goodness, and you're calling them.